two words. Bring it. That sums up today's edition of Ingoal Radio, the podcast. You will not believe what we have for you in the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR on Ingoal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. This is an outstanding, outstanding discussion between Kevin Woodley and Marlene Boissonneau. This, I, I don't think I've been as captivated by just an organic conversation like this in, I don't know, I, I can't tell you when, because it was just a pure fly in the wall as I listened to you guys, Woody. Wasn't she awesome? And, yeah. you, you know, this is the thing. Sometimes it's tough when you, you know, a lot of the interviews we do are with goalies that we've gotten to know over the years. Uh, we built relationships with. Sometimes that first time out of the gate with somebody new can be a little awkward. We've had a few of those recently where I haven't done a very good job with the conversation. I didn't have to do anything with this one. Uh, Marlene was just awesome. Um, there are so many takeaways, folks, that you're going to get out of this. I don't care what age you are, what level you play at, whether you're a goalie parent, goalie coach, goalie uh, of any sort of skill, size, or age level, male, female, whatever. Uh, Marlene delivers. She brings it. Um, mindset stuff from somebody who took psychology courses while she was going to Cornell. Uh, injury recovery. She had major hip surgery while she was there. The mental battle coming through that. Uh, tactical stuff, how her game has evolved over the years. Like there, are, She touches on so many points in this interview. Uh, I know it's going to be one where maybe not everybody listening right now is familiar with Marlene Boissonneau and, and she plays with the PWHPA, was in Calgary last year, won sort of their title there and is in Montreal this year, has spent some time with Hockey Canada. Marlene Boss on Instagram, look her up. Um, but I guarantee you, you will enjoy this interview. And if you don't follow her already on social media, you will be after you hear this because she's just, uh, I, like, I, I want to go to Calgary. I want to go to Calgary and get on the ice. So some of these concepts that she's talking about that she's adopted over the past couple of years as her game has transformed, I want to capture them and ha have the visuals to go with the explanation so we can share that with our audience at ingoldmag.com and, and sort of bring some of these concepts and ways of you know language and, and descriptions of talking about her approach uh, to our audience from a teaching perspective. And she does some coaching as well, right up to the huh. college level, just so much. I, I love this interview and I hope everybody else is going to as well. Part of uh, Hockey Canada, uh, the under-18 program, then went pre-med and now in mid-20s, still has aspirations on the national team and the the Olympic level and that program as well. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things. One, uh, picking up gear during the pandemic and did so through the National Hockey League and UC Soros. We'll get into that. And then the, is it the three levels of the stance or how how is that? Phrased. Three layers. Uh, the three, three layers of the stance. Three, a three-layer stance. Maybe the best description of a, being ready for a shot that I've heard, looking at it from the side instead of through through the goalie's eyes, and also an incredible breakdown of the difference between the men's game and the women's game when she's facing shooters. Like yeah, they're they're all good shooters, but she described it in a way that I, I've never heard before. So. It's awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we also got uh, our gear segment uh, coming up in just a little bit. Uh, one waiver news. Um, uh, Johansson is gone from Colorado to Arizona as they backfill uh, with the Coyotes. Yeah, and uh, no surprise that Arizona 
makes that move. Uh, their depth chart is a little thin. John Gillies is the only other goalie I know that they had in camp. I know they had some other guys with the AHL experience, but he was the only one who sort of had played in the NHL. Um, you know, Johansson bounced around a little bit last year, uh, claimed off waivers by Florida from Colorado, uh, re-signs back in Colorado, and by all accounts is looking forward to being back with the Avs for this season. i be honest with you, statistically, um, there are guys that are going to be on waivers when I look at the underlying numbers that I would have picked first. Uh, but certainly Arizona isn't the first team to see more in Jonas Johansson. I yeah. mean, the fact that uh, Colorado acquired him from Buffalo originally, that Florida claimed him off waivers, uh, and that he ends up back in Colorado. So, so clearly there are some goalie coaches that believe in this guy. There's some guys, there's some other guys that are going to be on waivers in the next little while that I would have an eye on maybe ahead of him. You know, again, not so much from a personal preference standpoint, but just looking at the underlying numbers and sort of, you know, what performance relative to defensive environment says uh, about some of the guys that are coming. I think of a guy like Connor Ingram, who probably won't be on waivers until later um, because Nashville's opening the season over in Switzerland. They'll have three goalies over there, and that kind of buys them a little more time. Uh, but with UC Saros and Kevin Lankin and pretty much set as your one-two in Nashville, uh, to me, Ingram's a guy that, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of upside there. The numbers sort of bear that out as well. And he'd be a guy that I would have been targeting as as well. And there's other guys like Colin Delia uh, from Vancouver is probably going to have to clear waivers. We talked about Zach Bucali and the year he had when he had the opportunity in Washington last year when he was called up. Um, you know, from the experience standpoint, a guy like Corey Schneider who's re-signed with the Islanders but will ultimately uh, need to clear waivers to go down in the American League. There's there's a lot of different options depending on what you were looking for, but. You know, clearly Arizona, much like Colorado and Florida, saw something in Johansson and claim him. Sure got the feeling that uh, Colorado was trying to sneak him through before oh, everybody got guys. flooded through and on waivers and uh, and Arizona was was ready and waiting. Yeah, no, and, and and one of the first guys, and that's usually a sign that you're trying to get him through. Try to get him through before other teams potentially run into injuries and maybe more teams have a need. I think, frankly, that lesson was learned by a lot of teams the year that Toronto lost both their goalies. And I remember saying at the time, like Toronto's like, oh, I can't believe we lost both their goalies. I'm like, well, if you if neither one of them had a chance of sticking and they didn't, it was foolish to wait as long as they did. They needed to send those guys down earlier by waiting so late in the waivers process. More teams ran into injuries. They ended up losing both. To me, I, I remember all this sort of like, oh, everybody targets the Leafs and waivers and hey, maybe there's something there because they do have a great deal of depth in the organization. But when it came to that move that year with goaltending, they had nobody to blame but themselves for waiting so long. And I think that's exactly what you saw. It didn't help Colorado this time, but you're seeing teams that really want to make sure their guy gets down there, send them early. Yeah, a cu couple of clubs have done it. And uh, I like the idea too. If teams are waiting to see what they have, maybe they don't put in that claim right then. They, they wait on it. And they let their own camps sort out. So, or, or I mean, it's another week. It's another week and another like for some teams, another three games of the preseason where you could run into an injury. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we've got the the hockey shop source for sports story, the hockeyshop.com gear segment. Uh, Cam has been very busy lately. He was down here in Vegas, Bauer World. World. Yeah, yeah. What, what a perfect little bit of timing. I tried to set him up with you, uh, but evidently he was enjoying himself far too much in other parts of Vegas for you guys to connect. Um, and hey, perfect, perfect bit of timing here. We we have actually caught up with Cam at Past Bauer Worlds for our gear segment, like live on location. Yeah. 
But I find it frustrating for myself and it probably is for the audience because Cam's down there as a buyer for the hockey shop and source for sports. And he's getting to see all the new stuff. And he's telling us about it, but he can't tell us about it, right? So he's like, right. yeah, I'm seeing the new stuff, but he's not telling us what the new stuff is. And I'm so like- So that's what Bauer World is, just to explain it for everybody? A Bauer World is, is well, Bauer World is, I, I, it's, it's a giant showcase of everything that's coming. And it's also a make good, take care of our customer type of weekend. So they have a good time down there for three days. They, they socialize, uh, they see the, see the new stuff. They talk about where the game's going, some of the- some of the new, tra- I mean, we've seen Bauer push the needle. How many guys are now in the Connect skate uh, around yeah. the league to start the season, including Sp- uh, Spencer Knight with the Florida Panthers, who just had a little teaser there. We should have him on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Um, got that all set up. Yeah, Bauer World's just a, a chance to sort of see what's coming and see where they're trying to take the game. And they're a company that pushes forward that innovation. And speaking of where the game's going, uh, if you're a goalie who feels like you need a little more protection in there, the gear segment this week is a Bauer product. It's for you. It's the Bauer Mock Chest Protector. And if you're thinking, hey, Woody, we've done the Bauer Mock Chest Protector. Not this one. This one is the Hockey Shop Spec. It is beefed up in all the right spots. Thanks to conversations that Cam has with the goalies that come into the store. And then he has these conversations with Bauer. And because he's at these events and he knows that he can get the special orders. So we get into that. We get into custom options for Bauer Chest Protectors. All of the above in this week's gear segment at the Hockey Shop with Cam. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia where we are continuing last week's discussion about chest protectors. Last week we did fitting. This week we're moving on to the Bauer Mock. And you're probably asking yourself, but Kevin... You already did the Bauer Mock. Well, we didn't do this Bauer Mock, baby, because it is THS Goal Spec. Stitched right into the back. Coming at you live. Hopefully that was in focus and not just a giant pick of my butt. Um, It's stitched into there to the back. THS Goal Spec. Kim, what the heck is THS Goal Spec? What have you done to this unit that makes it better, different, better for, for some? Than the regular Bauer mock unit. So limited, limited quantity, special edition. So those who like your exclusive kind of thing, this is definitely an exclusive unit. Beefed up forearm, beefed up bicep, beefed up shoulder flippers. Pretty cool custom black and. So, so basically, this is a mock chesty. Yes. With more protection. Yes. How much more? Much more. We're going to get a bat out and test it on me? Uh, we can if we want, but it's not really a good way to test it. Okay, so who's ordering this? Who's oh, this yeah. for? Like, I know, like, as a beer leaguer, as much as I like to pretend the shots are hard, the reality is I'm getting away with stock. What sort of age ranges, yes. levels? So it depends. Or like, maybe I'm just like me, hey, I'm a soft guy. I don't like bruises. To a point, yes, you're also correct in terms of where where you line up on. So it's like, it can be technically for anybody. It really it depends how much protection you want. What is your level of comfortability with being head versus how much you want to feel through that chest? It's pretty small for me. So for you in particular, yeah, 100% I'd be recommending this to you. Let's get you armored up as possible. Obviously, you still want to be able to feel the puck, know exactly where it is. But, you know, every unit can provide you to a bit of a degree. But again, we don't want to get, get things like that. So if you're wearing a stock pro unit, 
you're fine. You're still getting those bruises through, but yeah, hundred percent. Let's look at a beefed up unit. Watch example. I got right here. So or you can order custom. We'll go to the custom in a sec, but just walk me through like where in the arms is the extra protection? Where in the shoulder floaters is the extra protection? How much? I don't feel like it's limiting range of motion. Yes. Uh, I feel like it's sitting. Now, obviously it's a little tough because I'm sitting down. So it pops up a little bit turtle shell style, like every every backup goalie in the history of the NHL. But I, you know, I was playing with it earlier and I felt like there was really good mobility in this. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like we're focusing on that forearm, which is that common area, especially making out the insert. Dave, you're getting that so in here, right here. That's right. beefed up. Also with that shrug up, which includes now bicep as well. Now, the nice thing about that mock chest protector is that you do have that slide plate. So this isn't any thicker than it already was to begin with. It's just this pad up here that now gets that beef up as well. Okay. And uh, shoulder floaters. Shoulder floaters. Once again, common areas you're being hit, those shrug saves, especially higher up in the collarbone. It is the entire floater has been beefed up itself. But, you know, again, where it really focuses on, especially, you know, you're coming up for that higher up save, that kind of shrug save. That's where that beef up really going to help give you that coverage and extra check. Is that a stock unit right this there? This is a stock unit right so here. I mean, you can even see the difference. Yeah, side by sig side. significantly thicker up here than it's there. It's pretty and much yet, double. And yet it yeah. doesn't, uh, and yet it doesn't, like I said, doesn't feel like it's restrictive in terms of movement. And this is a great Bauer call out because of those mobility of the mock arms stock off the wall. Yes, we have added protection, but we still retain that good flexibility and feel what with mock, you know, really push forward as well. Okay. THS goal spec, limited edition. Yes. Not a ton in stock. So if you're interested in this, make sure you give Cam a call. Six zero four five eight nine eight two nine nine or one eight hundred five six seven 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 nine zero. If you've got any questions about this unit, or if you're not fast enough and you watch this a month later and you're like, oh, he sold out. Bauer Custom. We've hinted at it before. We've talked about it before. Uh, all of these options that Cam has incorporated in this THS goal spec are options that you can order custom. Cam, you Correct. can get beat. So, so the the most common custom options beefed up arms yes beefed up forearms yes beefed up shoulder yeah those are all available through the bauer custom program yes that's okay. correct what other options are available because well, i noticed this hyperlite a very popular exactly. chest protector and i'm like that's not a hyperlite arm those aren't hyperlite arms this is a mock arm so we can play a little bit of mix and match with this as well so very yeah it could go mock chest hyperlite arms bauer row chest bit of an older model that's kind of hovered in the background a little bit um based off of the older 195 for those uh that are savvy for those that like to throw it old school exactly so we can start mixing matching there um i can now play with the arm length and dial that in even a little bit more so besides it's about fitting last week your custom fitting custom arms yeah so besides having it just as like large body medium arms i feel large body medium arms minus a couple millimeters as well especially for so we can, in theory, further dial in that fitment specifically for your... As well as the additional protection and, of course, custom graphics. You talk about the nice look you've got on this custom chassis. Custom graphics are available in Bauer as well. Yes. You have the shoulder floater to play with. Bauer DigiPrint. You know when the pads come down to the shoulder floaters themselves. So I've got this area to play with. I've got that area to play with. There's already been some cool designs already floating out. Exactly. So you come up with it. We'd be able to manufacture it. All I need is a little bit of a sketch kind of drawn out of which one. Last part, uh, we talked about mixing and matching arms, different parts from different models, beeps up protection, custom graphics. This, These aren't things that where you can go to a website and click, click, click. These are all things that they need to contact you and there's a special order sheet and you can walk them through the specs and questions about how those specs might mix. 
um, how they might play. It's all sort of got to come through you at the shop, right? Correct. All right. We already gave you the numbers, folks. You can find them at thehockeyshop.com if you've got any more questions. Uh, if you want to have one right away with the beefed up protection, they've got them here. If they run out, because I expect they're going to run out quick, remember you can always get custom orders through Cam, both beefed up protection, custom graphics, mix and match, you name it. The beauty is Bowers really developed their new lines. We see it in the pads too. Uh, guys mixing and matching features Correct. Uh, from the Supreme line and the Vapor line, mixing and matching strapping. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that like just every with every new iteration comes new options, but it doesn't mean you have to go to the new option. I love it. You find your taste for your game. So Cam doing double duty, he's working the floor with Bauer and he's bringing in this uh, great special edition, a uh, hockey shop uh, special edition uh, of the Bauer uh, mock chest protector. And it just, it's another incredible example of the service and the selection and the uh, advice that you get over at the hockey shop. Well, and we talked about at the end there, not just this, the one that they have in stock, but your ability to custom order. If you are looking, we had a, we had the fitting. Um, last week in the gear segment, how to make sure your, your chest protector fits properly. If you're looking to order custom, you can get different lengths of the arms. You can beef up different sections like they have with the mock. You can even get, uh, the hyperlight with mock arms. We talked about that. That's a custom option that a lot of people are looking like. So if you are looking to get more answers or have any questions, make sure you contact the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. And as always check out the website for sale items, the back to hockey sale, is still on there a lot of that gear is gone but whatever's left still on sale a lot of past models including from bauer with the supreme line past generation the ultrasonic pads gloves sticks all on sale right now at the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com yeah that's right going going a line back or a year back in selection is never a bad thing so many of us get caught up in the latest and the greatest why not because that was what we were talking about and raving about within 12 months ago. Well, and here's the other thing. You know what we're seeing in the National Hockey League with the Bauer equipment and the pads? And to me, this is this is a sign of the evolution. Every time they take a step forward, you're going to have guys, and we talked about James with, uh, about this with James Reimer when we were in Kelowna. You're going to have guys that are like, okay, I like this, but I like the strapping from two generations ago. That really fits my game and my leg. And you're seeing this in the NHL now, right? And so if you're a guy or a girl that liked the ultrasonic, the strapping, the setup, the thicker boot, that stiffness of that pad, now you can get it on sale. So not everybody, you know, you find something you love and they make changes. It doesn't mean you have to adapt with every change. There are a lot of guys in the show that are still using maybe not the entire previous model, but bits and pieces from previous models. As Bauer adds more and more of these options, you're seeing more diversity among the pro ranks in terms of how they combine them on their pads. And sometimes that means using some of the, you know, maybe not the latest and greatest. Um, sometimes that, that means using something from a generation or two ago. And at thehockeyshop.com, that means you get it on sale. I'm using a generation and a half ago. Well, not generation, maybe uh two years ago. Uh, it's a pro return set of uh, the chesties. And I won't say the goalie's name, but he must have freakishly long arms. 
because the arms are crazy long. I'm always like trying to, to poke it. I'm gonna have to talk to Cam uh, about it. I don't know whether you can mix and match arms. So they were they were doing that a couple of years ago with Kineski, right? Uh, well, I, yes, you have a lot of guys that have the CCM chest and the Kineski arms. Yeah. Although the CCM improved their the the flexibility in the arms of their NHL model as well. So a lot of guys have now just sort of kept all CCM. So. It's yeah. fascinating to see that. Does it strap in? We talked about with the fitting. Like, can you adjust the arm length at the top? Uh, you cannot. In, so it's in this sewn one. in. Yeah. So that I looked that, at that first. That becomes a Cecil project at that point. Yes. That's not a cam project. That's a Cecil project, and that's a good chance for us to remind people that they do custom alterations. Uh, not only is Cecil one of the great skate sharpeners, he can get you the right profile, uh, the the right sharpening, different types of goalie profiles on there. Uh, but he also does a lot of sort of custom work with gear repairs, strapping. Uh, if you made some, need some custom modifications, make sure you check them out and talk to Cam, talk to Cecil, talk to the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com because they're really good at that side of things too. I want to get to my favorite person from New Brunswick, easily, uh, Marlon Boissonneau. Uh, coming up in just a minute, uh, our feature interview brought to you by Sensorine and Sensorine VR. But uh, some cool things happening over at Sensorine, and I have to get on this. Uh, the concussion uh, sort of almost baseline uh, type. Baseline I, test. I, it's, you, you, like it's not, I guess you can't use it as, as gospel, but it's a great, great resource. Yeah, no, and, and they've added it to Sense Arena. You can now sort of test for concussion using a baseline, establish a baseline, go through the baseline testing. If you take a puck off the mask, if you catch a chicken wing from somebody going through the crease and they spin you sideways and leave you loopy, um, going back and going through the concussion testing that's now a part of Sensorina and Sensorina VR will allow you to see just how cognitively, cog, easy, see, perhaps yeah. I would not pass my baseline right now, Darren. How cognitively. No, that, that has nothing to do with concussions, buddy. That's just you and I not being able to talk. Well, yeah, the missing tooth isn't helping with that word either, but <laughs> cognitively impaired, you can sort of see your ability to react, your ability to process. Um, you can you can compare it to what your baseline, you establish your baseline by running the test at the beginning of the season. And if you're worried about it later on, you can go back and compare it and see yeah. if you if you know if you are sort of suffering um some cognitive impairment and whether you should be back on the ice and uh, is it a solution in terms of curing it? No, but it's a great way to get a, uh, you know, like I said, they use it in the National Hockey League level, establish that baseline and compare it later to know whether you're at risk and whether you should be back out on the ice. So you and I have both suffered uh, various uh, blows at uh, at different times. Uh, one of the first things I thought of was I, I wish I had a baseline to compare it to just to maybe match some progress or chart some progress uh, that I'm making. Uh, I'm going to do this in the next uh, two days. It's it's a just a no-brainer to get on, on top of this uh, for the uh, cognitive uh, side of it because I wanted to match you with cognitive usage. I was just going to say, I wish, I wish I'd had it. I'd established my baseline back when I could say the word cognitively. <laughs> uh, awesome stuff uh, with Sensorina, Sensorina VR presenting this feature interview. One of the most enjoyable, and again, I'll use the word organic, discussions between two people about our position. She's a self-proclaimed uh, goalie nerd, 
uh, but incredibly intelligent. Uh, and uh, you'll you'll find out about uh, dark colored pads uh, because her dad was an engineer and he was also a goaltender. And growing up without a goalie coach, there's just it's incredible how many layers uh, that are on this, including a three layered stance. Enjoy, yes. folks. There's there's so many layers. It even has a stance layer <laughs> or three of them. Really excited to welcome to the Ingo Radio podcast, Marlene Boissonneau from the PWHPA. What do we call it? We just call it Calgary. Introduce it for me. Yeah, it's the Calgary hub. Essentially, there's five hubs uh, and there's four teams. I play for Team Harvey's this year, which ends up uh, being localized out of Montreal. But I train out of the Calgary hub. So it's a bit confusing, but yeah, I'm I'm local in Calgary. But finished last year, and by last year, I mean just in August, with a title with the Calgary chapter. Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. I was playing for Team Scotiabank the past two years. Uh, we had a lot of success on that team. And this year, they decided to bring it out to 14 instead of five. And I got shipped over to the Harvey's team. Okay, so how? Okay, but you're still in Calgary. I'm talking to you right now in Calgary or in Montreal. Clear it up for me. I'm in Calgary. <laughs> so how does that work in terms of training and, and playing with your team and, and still finding that mix of being comfortable with teammates and while also sort of having your life centralized in Calgary right now? It's very interesting. Uh, I think they modeled it off the lacrosse national system. So essentially you have five hubs and the girls are allowed to train wherever you'd like. And every weekend or every weekends that we have games, everybody gets flown into the location or the region of the showcase or of the games of the weekend. So ultimately, you will be playing games with your teammates, but you don't necessarily practice with them. So here in Calgary, we're made up of all four teams. Um, there's about 20, 21 of us, perhaps, that train here in Calgary. And I train with four of my teammates, and the rest on the ice are and quote-unquote enemies. <laughs> they play for the other teams. It is de- definitely an interesting dynamic, but ultimately, we're all here to grow the game, and we're all here to get better. Um, and we've trained together for the past two years, so it hasn't really changed much in that sense. But yes, it is definitely an interesting dynamic thinking, hey, I'm playing against someone I'm going to see in a game very soon when things count. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic, but it has its perks and you get to train with friends and everything. Uh, But yeah, you definitely don't get to train with your team, which is interesting because we don't get to practice individual team systems. So you almost have a system or a set of systems that is going to be the whole league is going to be playing the same systems, whether it be special teams or whatever it is. So that's definitely going to be interesting. But outside of that, yeah, it's just your friendly competition. And when you get to games, it's just rivalries. Okay, so here's a question that we hear a lot uh, at a lot of different levels of goaltenders. When it comes to systems, does it matter? Like how much of your reads are based on the system and how much of your reads are based on knowing and trusting what individuals do within a system? And how would that affect a year like this year i guess you don't know because you haven't really started yet this season but have you thought about that process at all does it really does it make that big a difference as a goaltender reading off off what's going on in front of you i think as a goaltender yes and no like i came out of cornell right i went to cornell and at cornell every week we would break down um the systems of the teams we were playing that weekend so say we were playing yale and colgate that weekend we would break down their game from head to toe in terms of pk power play we would study it for the week comes the weekend, we knew how to play it and everything. And as a goaltender, you knew where the shots were going to come from or where the main threats were going to be. But since the P-Dub started in that kind of different system, different style, you're kind of a fish out of water and you have to figure it out. So you have to read the play much better. So you have to be more aware of the threat on the ice. Who doesn't have the, who doesn't have the puck? Because oftentimes 
the player without the puck is the most dangerous, as you might have heard a lot. So you have to be aware of where the opponents were, are they on the ice, and kind of study your own game within the game while it's happening live. So it's definitely different. That's what we've done in the past um, two years because the past two years was very similar where every weekend you would basically have new teammates and a new team would be made up for the weekend. So it was kind of the similar style last year. This year we just happened to be with the same team for the whole year instead of changing every weekend. Um, but yeah, you kind of learn on the fly. <laughs> so your, your reads are a little more organic as opposed to, like you said, you said you went to Cornell. Like I'd say you did a little more than went to Cornell second all-time in wins with with 56, hell of a career at Cornell. Um, I'm guessing the reads are a little more organic now versus kind of, for lack of a better term, pre-baked in terms of what the expectations from the opponents would have been when you were in college. 100%. It's, you have to learn in the moment and you have to read it in the moment. And oftentimes it won't be consistent throughout the, practice, uh, throughout the game, right? Because there's different players out there and they've all played different levels of college or whatever it is, and they've all played different systems. So not every line are playing the same system or not every PK unit or every power play unit are playing the same system. So that's definitely something interesting. So constantly throughout the game, you just have to be on your toes and you have to read it in the moment because there's nothing that really stays consistent throughout. Um, but it definitely keeps the game exciting because ultimately you have to be fully engaged the whole time and you can't get comfortable in knowing that all oh, the threats can come from here. So I have to angle this way or I have to open up that way or I have to, you know, have my head on swivel for the back door or whatever it is, right? You just um, the head on a 360 the whole time. A little more, I'm guessing probably play things a little more neutrally. Like, like you can't, you really, not that we want to cheat to anything, but I would imagine there are times when you've got it broken down as well as it sounds like you did well at Cornell that you knew what was coming almost. 100%. Like when we were at Cornell, we were playing this team. Maybe they're still playing the system, but we were playing this team that they would always find a way to have a player come down. It was back door, but they would send it back the other side. And it'd be in that like dead angle, right? Like below the dot, above the goal line. And they would always have a player down there. And that player would always crash in that somehow. So you knew that when you were setting up on your post on one side, on the strong side, you knew you had to have that back leg really close to the goal line. So you would be able to get kind of that deep angle, right? But in a game like this, where you really don't know and the players are scattered a little bit everywhere, you have to be more ready to take that shot strong side and not commit to opening up your hip to the backside kind of thing so those little things you got to play more neutral and you got to play more to the puck and where the puck is while being aware of everything else but no you can't play it like i did in college where essentially you know what's going to happen 90 percent of the time of course it wouldn't happen always but you ha- you know you have an idea of which player they're trying to set up which player is going to be where or whatever um so it's definitely an interesting kind of game and also your defensemen right your defensemen being your biggest allies on the ice they don't know either what's happening so it's a bit of a communication game. Your communication increases drastically because you're learning all together during the game organically. You don't have a pre-made setup or a pre-game kind of idea of what's going on. So there's also that communication that goes through the roof. Now, is that a communication, like in, obviously in-game as well, but something, do, do you work on it when you have such a limited time? And again, I'm asking you questions about a season that hasn't started yet, but like, do, do you envision yourselves having sort of chats with the defenseman pregame or is it just, you know, conversations constantly going on during the game about what you're seeing and hoping that it matches them? Like we hear a lot from coaches, head coaches and goalie coaches about the importance of communication. I guess the question I'm asking as a goalie playing at this level, how do you approach it? Like w- to make sure that even when you use certain phrases, you're the rest of your teammates, defenseman in particular know exactly what you mean. Yeah, so it has to be very simple. 
Quite honestly, that's what I noticed in the past two years. And that's what I've learned most from it. It has to become so simple because you don't have time to set up a whole dictionary of words that you're going to use. So say you go behind the net and you set up the puck. My three cues that I do is up, over, and set, right? Set basically being what the players tell me. And ultimately, I get the big end of the stick where if ever I see something else fit, then I get to play the puck or whatever it is. But up being you pass it back to strong side, over you pass it over to defenseman on the weak side, and set it, you set it up for them, ideally on their strong side, right? On their forehand, and you go from there. But ultimately, you have to keep it simple. Because if ever you want something a little bit more in depth, like we had in university where you develop, you know, years of development with your teammates, then you can have a bigger list and you can set up whatever you want and whatever language you want to have. But what I noticed is when you come to this, these events, it's quite unique where you have to have a very short list and you have to communicate a lot. So in front of the net, if you can't see anything, you have to let them know you have to have those different cues, can't see, can't see, can't see. And you have to be extremely vocal during the entire game. And ultimately, I think if you go to any of those PWHP games, you'll hear the goalies being very vocal. Probably in the stands, you'll hear them because you have to be very loud, very clear, because you've never played with this, these players sometimes, and they've never played with you. So the clearer you can be, the most consistent you can be throughout the game, the better it's going to be. But yeah, no, we don't get a chance to practice that because even in practices here, we'll practice breakouts. We'll practice those things where communication happens, but it's not your teammates right? It's your opponents. And so comes game time, come games, uh, come game time. You don't get to use those with those teammates you just practice with, right? They're playing on the other side of a different color jersey. So, and, they, and they also know what up over and, the, and yeah. set means too. So that's what I'm saying. This year, this year is going to be quite interesting because we're pretty much all going to be playing the same systems. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see because if we're all playing the same systems, then it's going to be extremely competitive um, because you're going to be able to read the play in that sense. Um, but also you're going to have a lot of room for creativity and people to get out of those boundaries and try things that are new. But yeah, it's definitely in terms of communication, it's a very, very unique kind of setup that we have. <laughs> well, Marlene, at least at least it might work if you just go French on the up over and, yeah. and, and set or leave. That might at least provide a little advantage on anybody like my, <laughs> myself who barely got to the grade 12 French. I'd be, I'd be lost. So at least you can go with that one. Well, and we're playing for Team Montreal, or at least I am, and there's a bunch of Frenchies on there. So I'm sure that, hey, that might be a good idea. I'll pitch it to our coach. (laughs) So I understand you. I want to go back a little bit, rewind. Um, Clearly, I I love this conversation because we're already getting into detail. And, you know, the audience for this is 100% goalies. They're listening to these things about, you know, flattening out that inside leg if you're worried about backdoor. And these are these are all these are cues that are registering. Um, You clearly have a passion for it. I know you started playing hockey at a really young age growing up in New Brunswick and switched to goalie. I want to say I read around nine. Where did where did the passion for the sport start? Where did the passion, what what made you become a goaltender? Yeah, so I mean, I did start playing hockey very young. I think I was four or five when I started, first started skating on the ice. I was a player for a while. I think I was a defenseman. Um, and ultimately, it's kind of funny. It was more of a copycat scenario. My dad was a goalie and my brother was a goalie. And I was kind of jealous at that time where I was seeing them kind of getting to wear the cool gear and getting to, you know, be unique and be that kind of like special player on the ice or special goalie on the ice. Um, and one day I asked my dad, like, I want to do it. Like, I just was kind of being a little bit jealous. And he figured, why not? Strapped me in the pads and I fell in love with it right away. I think it was not my second year that I did the ultimate transfer. And I've never looked back since. I really fell in love with it. There's just something about it where you get to do the crazy saves. You get to do the crazy stuff. And goaltending to me was just 
yeah, I fell in love more and more ever does, since. Now, does the gear passion remain? Like, like the gear was cool. Are you are you a gear geek? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I'm a, I'm a gear geek. I actually just designed. This is kind of a bit of an inclusive, an uh, exclusive little thing. Oh, we uh, like those. I just, I just designed my gear for the year, and I'm playing for Team Harvey, so it's a navy and uh, orange colors. And I don't know where this podcast can be posted, but I decided to go kind of simple. So I don't know if you know about me, but I've always had white gear. So usually that was my go-to thing. But this year being um, a year where we have official colors, I decided, hey, let's switch it up. Let's keep that kind of like respect to my style. So I kept it pretty much fully white, but I went with the inside of the pad fully navy. So like where you slide and then every CCM kind of accents on it, all orange. And then, so it's really, really cool. It has this like unique feel and the glove has some cool navy on it, some cool orange, but like white base. Blocker, same thing. And I'm sponsored with uh, Sherwood for sticks. And uh, very similarly, I went with some orange and navy and I'm still designing the bucket. So the helmet is one of those like extra special things to design. I'm still in the middle of it. But yeah, I have my new gear set up. This past year, I had to wear bright yellow gear for the whole year, which was a very big change for me because I was used to wearing simply white. So going color was a big, like big step. Now, was and that then, a sponsorship thing or was that a set no, that it's arrived? Actually, it's actually kind of interesting. It's a fun, funny story. So, you know, Saros. Is that, I was going to ask if that was a Saros set. Yeah, because <laughs> I'd, heard, I'd heard rumblings you were wearing UC Saros's equipment. Yeah. So if ever you've seen the gear close, you'll see his name is on it. So essentially during COVID, when everything kind of shut down um, with factories and whatnot, um, I, I was in touch with CCM and I said, hey, like my gear can be made and my gear has been worn down yeah i'm on the ice quite literally every day getting hundreds of shots so the gear wears down really really quickly and ccm were went above and beyond and they basically said hey we'll look in the nhl who has the closest specs to you because these guys have spare sets um and they said hey he has spare sets would you be willing to wear they called it gold gear so i said 100 percent like i need something to keep myself safe because i was starting to get bruised a couple places uh and they said it over and i opened it and it said sorrows on it so Super thankful they helped me out there. Um, and yeah, I've been wearing it for a whole season. And I think this year, obviously, I'm going to have to make the switch. But you know. I mean, hey, Vezina Trophy finalist. Like, that's not a, that's not a bad well, guy's <laughs> gear to get. Exactly. Like, hopefully he rubbed off a couple things on me. I mean, we were very successful last year. We finished number one in the league. So maybe that's why uh, we uh, ended up doing so good. So Okay, <laughs> I so I got to ask about, you said signature gear for you is white. Um, you know, and obviously, like you said, you ended up wearing bright yellow gear. I mean, those are in some ways in the debate over color or not yeah. color. And we get it here a lot in Vancouver. The goalie coach I cover here in Vancouver, uh, most intimately is Ian Clark and his goalies do not get dark colors on the outer rolls. He figures, he thinks it frames the pad and shows the shooter in a split second uh-huh. where the, where the pad and the equipment ends and the net begins potentially. And Absolutely whatever split seconds we can get in his theory we take so that's the rules here where does the all white come from for you is it a performance thing and and obviously the yellow like we all know the story of Marc andre fleury and the yellow and then the optometrist telling him that yellow's the the color that the eye recognizes the most so now you've done both does it matter uh i mean you're talking about a year development too i had one year development going into the yellow so maybe i just became a better goalie so maybe that's where i had a little bit of a slight advantage but ultimately the reason why i went white so my dad 
is an engineer. My dad's a very smart man. And when I started wearing gear, he said right off the get-go, if a player is in front of the net and they're looking at the net and behind there is white and the net is white and the ice is white and there's snow everywhere or whatever, he said, go white. Because ultimately, like you said, the pad is not framed. So I that stuck with me ever since my dad told me about it. And I just kept with it. I'm very big on having those kind of, not rituals, but those kind of like meanings behind things. Everything I do has a purpose. And for me, getting white gear had that purpose. Um, I never wanted to go with a color base just because of that reason. And when I had uh, Saros's gear, was there a big difference? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it was a very much so of a hybrid season. So there was a lot of goalie sessions. Um, so it was definitely more of a development year. But I think, I don't know, it's hard to say if there was a big difference. But would I ever go to full color? No, I don't think so. I think it'd be a hard a hard sell for me to go full full color or black or whatever it is. Um, I think I'll always remain with a white base just because I do strongly believe that there's that extra edge where the player looks up for half a second because the game is so fast now. The player looks up for half a second and all they see is white, white, white. They're just going to send it to the net versus seeing black, black, black and seeing exactly where the holes are, right? So my dad is the one who put it in my mind and I know him as a very smart man. So he always just stuck with me and there's the white gear and that's the reason behind it. And it's stayed as a staple ever since. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're, you start goaltending because of your dad and your brother and uh-huh. jealousy, as you said, and gear. <laughs> so all the good reasons, all the good reasons. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> what, what role in terms of mentorship, coaching, like was a point where you, where you started working with other coaches or did, you know, was your dad and your brother sort of your early goalie coaches? We, we, we're in a generation now where you're doing coaching right now. And I want to get to mm-hmm. that as well, but like, you know, kids have coaches at seven and eight. Who were your early sort of inspirations in terms of teaching? So I never actually had an official goalie coach until quite late in my career. And I'm saying like almost high school. And even there, it was very temporary. I was seeing uh, David Alexander, who's with the... Yeah, um, we know David. Yep. Yep. So I, I was seeing him every summer, every now and then um, for a session or two or a couple here and there. So his, his, he came into the picture pretty late. But he was a big part to my early on stage development. Outside of that, quite honestly, I did not have much of goalie coaching at all. My dad uh, started himself a couple of years probably before I did. And he started a little bit later, but he loved the position. So he and I studied a lot and we learned. He learned before me a couple of things and then we started learning together. And we would just try things here and there. But I never really had that goalie kind of teaching stuff. So it was a lot of learning on my own. And if you would see clips of me in high school and middle school or whatever it is, I cringe looking at those videos because there's no style. There's no structure to my movements. I pride myself on being an athletic goalie. And I think that's what got me through high school and to the next systems and to the next levels above that. And then once it got to a very competitive stage, being university or whatever it is, and I had that goalie coaching, then it became much more <laughs> of a fixed whatever crazy style I had. I used to laugh a lot because people would refer to me as like a Martin Brodel style where you don't have a style, but you stop the puck. And then since I moved here to Calgary, Brad Kirkwood kind of became my official goalie coach, if you will. I was on the ice with him a lot and I still am to this day. And he cleaned a lot of it up. So if you look at me before when I moved to Calgary and after I moved to Calgary, side to side, it's a completely different goalie. But yet, I managed to sub the puck in both 
places. So, I mean, and, and you have a silver medal at the World uh, Under-18 Championship with Team Canada, a uh, gold medal game overtime against the United States. Were you still, to use your words, the Martin Brodeur goalie at that point? <laughs> I really was. I honestly didn't really start changing my style to a more efficient and more energy-saving and more high-quality style until I moved to Calgary. Wow. Before that, because I went through that national system at the U18 level and U22 level for many, many years, and now I'm still currently making my way up to the senior level or the Olympic stage, if you will. And my development back then was very much so my own making, being that Martin Baudelsa, 100%. And then since I moved here to Calgary, yeah, I'd completely changed on a dime. Like I said, if you were like, I looked at clips from before I went to Cal or before I moved to Calgary, and it's like I say, it's cringy to look at. Because I became such a big kind of detail-oriented person. Maybe that's because of how much I became into the coaching side. And on the coaching side, I, my biggest things I like to teach is attention to details. Because I do think that goaltending is not going to change in terms of anything about the game is not going to change. You're not going to change how you do a butterfly. You're not going to change the fact that you have to do RVHBH overlaps and those kind of different things. But you can change the how efficiently you do those movements. Or like a T-push, a shuffle, they're always going to be a part of your game, but how efficiently can you do it? So a T-push, for example, if you're going from one side to the other, where's your weight? Is your weight distributed on that back leg, being the leg that cranks and you kind of push with, or is it on that front leg? My argument is that weight has to be on that front leg right away. As soon as your head gets to the puck and as soon as you make contact with that puck with your eyes, then your body moves and that weight is fully, fully on your front leg, Right? And to me, it makes me get there much faster. First of all, I get there faster. And when I get there, I'm already set because I'm not on that back leg and I don't have to transfer that weight onto my leg exactly. And when I get there, I don't feel as wide. My standard yeah. work in Calgary was so wide and I had hip surgery in university because of it. I grinded through my hips because it was so wide and it, the hips are not meant to be so wide. So when I came to Calgary, K9 saw that right away and he fixed that right away because he said, that's not efficient. You're not going to be set. You're not going to be balanced enough. So we fixed that right away. And holy, I feel much more energized. I have much more energy in the crease, um, much more comfortable, much more efficient. There's a bunch of details to my game that I really took time to develop. And I still am developing it. There's a few things about my game that I'm still not satisfied about and probably never will be, but there's still parts that can be evolved. There's a couple things, a couple threads I wanted to pull on there in terms of the the yeah. T push and the movement and the yeah. width. But I, I did want to ask before we go to sort of some of the newer things that you've evolved because I love how detailed the descriptions are. As much as you chuckle at old you, is there was there? Do you think there's any benefit to have had to go through that stage where you were self taught and where you had to survive on instinct? Because now that you add the efficiency you still have the instinct. You haven't, so we, we see, and this isn't fair because it's not a blanket statement, but sometimes when we add the efficiency at such a young age, we don't develop the instinct. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, and this might be a weird term to use, but oftentimes you'll see goalie, goalies out there, for lack of a better word, that are studio goalies, I call them, where essentially they know goaltending in terms of what it's supposed to look like, and what you do in a studio in terms of making those T-pushes happen, making those RVHDH. But when you look at the true goalie instinct and the ability to stop a puck in chaos scenarios, in whatever it is, can you stop the puck when you're uncomfortable? 
And I kind of had to do that all the way through high school and even through university. And then that's what I think gives me an edge because I do have that extra compete, extra athleticism that brought me to where I am today. And now that I was able to kind of shape shift that into a more structured goalie, not quite a studio goalie style, but more of uh, being able to compose that energy and compose all that kind of athleticism into something very efficient. I think the fact that, hey, if something goes out of whack and I fall on the ice or there's a crazy backdoor happening and there's not necessarily that comfortable butterfly slide happening, I have no problem doing a split save and going back there and making that crazy save happen. And then from there, I, I'm very athletic to be able to move side to side and then react from that. And I think that only stems from being self-taught and finding ways to stop the puck without technically knowing how to stop the puck, right? So definitely, I think that there's a lack of athleticism happen. Mind you, I do think that there's room for goalie coaching to be happening because I think at a young age right now, it's so incredibly competitive, especially here in Calgary, being a bigger city with a lot of goalies. I think there's a great edge to developing your goalies and having them learn that pretty at a, pretty young. Um but definitely, I think it's a fine line between becoming a studio goalie and really developing that athleticism to yourself. And I think I'm pretty fortunate that I was able to be very athletic and grow up that way. And eventually, <laughs> thankfully, have canine and step in and kind of clean that up so I don't have to go through another hip surgery or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, athleticism is huge. I don't think there's, you'll find any goalies in the NHL that aren't genetically or, you know, athletic by genes. I think it's just what it takes. Now, you, as you were developing these instincts, did you, did you study like other goalies? Were you watching? Were there, was there anybody that you watched and tried to self-teach any of the technical element? Obviously, like you said, nothing, there weren't foundational changes until you got to Calgary, but were you, were, were you trying to, like somebody must have taught you proper leg recovery, for example, something which sounds like such a simple, every kid starts with it. But I remember when I started doing this job in 2004, half the NHL didn't. And yet I would go watch 12-year-olds and they all did it, right? So if you're self-taught and you have no instruction, like, like how'd you pick up on things? Where, where were you looking for those examples outside of your parent, your dad and your brother? Yeah, I mean, my dad was definitely huge about it. My dad is very um, intuitive. So things like that, like that proper leg is something that he taught me very quickly. And uh, soon at an early age, when my parents saw that I had some potential and I was really loving the game, they found, um, go uh, not goalie school, but summer schools where players would go to train in the summer and goalies would go as well. And I would go to these camps. I remember one was in Quebec and one was in PEI. And back then I didn't learn English till grade 10. So I was French till then. And I remember going to PEI, not being able to speak English. And so not being able to fully communicate with the coaches, but somehow there was that goalie communication where they were able to kind of point places and kind of teach me the way to do it by example. And that's where I got a bit of information and I was able to go through my seasons and just put that together and realize that. And then at, in Quebec, obviously being very French, then I was able to really be a massive sponge for a week and just learn a ton from these coaches. And that's where I think I got a snippet of information and then I was able to apply that through my season. But that was only like a week here and there, a summer here and there. And then my dad ultimately was the one I would come. I remember coming um, home or coming. We used to go to these camps and we would go to motorhome. And I remember coming in the motorhome because we were camping there. And I'd tell my dad right away, I was super excited. I learned how to hold my stick where you have to have the trigger finger, for example. I didn't know that till I went to summer schools for hockey until 
maybe, gosh, maybe that was Pee Wee or Venomage. So you're and just grabbing it like a fist. Yeah, probably. And my dad has a picture of it and it's a very cute picture I saw on my phone where I'm like showing him, hey, this is how you're supposed to hold your stick, you know, and things like that. And we would learn together and eventually it just kind of developed into one thing after the other and just being a big sponge and loving the game. And it brought me to where I am today. And even things like the RVH or the VH, I didn't really fully learn that until I probably went to college. I would just somehow manage to do some post work and I would see things in the NHL, but I never truly grew up watching hockey it's kind of a bit weird because i did love the game so much and when i watch nhl games i was constantly looking at the goalie so maybe i was just absorbing information but was i truly studying the game <laughs> I, it'd be kind of a no it would be more like i love studying my own game if that makes sense and it then does. Like, yeah, right yeah like it i don't know i never really fully like looked at that but then i loved watching Montembado. That was one of those things where I just loved the athleticism he had, and maybe that's why I stuck to being that weird-looking goalie for a while, and the cringy goalie that I now look back at. But yeah, I don't know. I would just learn some information here and there, and then when uh, David Alexander came along, and I was tra training with him, then I started to learn proper techniques, and he was a massive step into my development where I actually learned a lot. Um, and that probably helped me to eventually go to a prep school, being at Rotten Netherwood School from grade 10 to through 12 and get called up by the national team and get called up by various universities. And that was probably the, one of the biggest things that he did, him and his dad, John Alexander. Yep. Definitely the biggest two um, kind of goalie coaches probably that came along and that were able to give me that push before going to their bigger stages. And then in university, we had some goalie coaching there as well. And then, yeah, the rest after that is history when I moved here with K9 and it just kept growing exponentially after that. Now, Cornell, you said you had hip surgery while you were there or just after you ended there? And am I right that you were pre-med? I was pre-med, yeah. So what's I, that like going through that process <laughs> where it's like, hey, I'm studying the human body and getting ready to go into medicine and I'm playing a position that the human body was essentially not designed to do? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And it's, yeah, I mean, I studied biology and I had some minors in um, uh, psychology and leadership and that I was, uh, I was a busy cookie in university and I... Um, I loved medicine. I loved everything that has to do with the anatomy. And yeah, I had to get hip surgery my junior year. My junior year, starting the junior year, I had a lot of issues with the hips. Um, simple things like a screen. If it, it was my right hip, so a screen, if I had to lean to the right of the screen, it was quite painful in the hip. And the hip would just essentially pinch. And I had to push through that for almost a whole year. I had to go through cortisone injections. I had to, you know, take ibuprofen or take whatever anti-inflammatory and wrap my hip and whatever just to be able to finish that season and once that that season finished I sat down and I talked to my athletic therapist and I said hey like what are the options because I don't know if I can make another year out of this right because it was getting to a point and I knew I wanted to expand my career after that so I knew that something has to happen and in the university I was very blessed to have a system there where you can get surgery and it's essentially covered by the school and there's a lot of rehab that can be happening at the school so I decided to stay at the school for that summer and Katie Harris is our athletic therapist at Cornell. She's still there currently, and she was a blessing. But you wouldn't believe it, just an angel that was able to help me do that rehab. I had surgery in April, early April, and I managed to start the season in October. Wow. And from there. But it was a very, very hard summer. I had to sacrifice conditioning. I had to sacrifice lower body strength and things like that. So when I came into the season, oftentimes during the week, I couldn't practice. 
because I had to be able to play the games on the weekend. So sometimes I had to sit down with the coach and be like, it's either I go through four practices this week or I do two practices, maybe two half practices, and I just play the games on the weekend. And it was just a lot of that throughout the year. So I did lose a lot of you know, physical development that summer. But after that was done, then I was able to move here to Calgary and just keep that moving forward. And when I moved here, I started training at Windsport at CSI, and they were aware of that hip surgery that I had in that development. But it was a lot of catching up. I had to sacrifice a lot of that lower body strength and a lot of that conditioning, if you will, because I was not able to wait there. I was on crutches for X amount of weeks, things like that. So that senior year at Cornell was very difficult, but hey, it was one of those challenges that I really dug deep and made it work. And we went to the Frozen Force that year. It was something absolutely insane. And we ended up doing severely much better than the three years prior. And our team was extraordinary. And we ended up doing something very phenomenal. Even though behind the scenes, I was struggling with a hip recovery. But yeah, ultimately, that was something that was just a big, um, you know, sticking to the wheel. And uh, it's something that I had to struggle with for a couple of years after, even when I came here to Corna- uh, to Calgary, was still adjustments. I am I wanted to ask a little bit, you mentioned psychology and leadership courses as well. I'm guessing the psychology courses or or whatever you took from a psychological standpoint, you probably put it to use by the sounds of it. As you were going through this, we hear a lot about mindset, whether it's on the ice or in that case, off the ice and how you get through a long-term injury. Um, are there any takeaways from the lessons you learned taking those courses that you applied that you would share to others who are maybe going through you know, similar struggles with a long-term injury in the road back. 100%. And so I was, I'm actually, <laughs> behind the scene, I'm a bully nerd, but I'm also a nerd in the books as well. So when I study psychology, I love to read anything and everything that has to do with the mind. And truly the mind is so much more powerful than the body leads it to be. Because I think ultimately your mind is your biggest strength. There's no muscles stronger than the mind. So I think if ever you have the mindset of just trusting the process, and understanding what it takes to get to the next level and just being patient and all that, it's really crucial. And for me, what I think helped me the most was really just knowing that my body would do the work that it needs to to heal. And all I had to do was make sure the mind would stay as strong and as efficient as it was, if not more. I read a lot of books throughout university and a lot of books when I moved here too, when COVID happened and I strongly would suggest to any goaltenders out there, any person in general, that study everything and anything you can to develop and strengthen your mind. Because like I said, it's your greatest asset. And when I went through that hip surgery, it was very much so about when I would be able to step on the ice again, I wanted to be the most mentally strong I ever was. So when it came down to those games and playing those games and trusting that the hip wouldn't be painful, because sometimes you go in those movements and all you remember is the past year of, hey, if I make a split save with my right leg extended, it's going to hurt like a mother, right? But that senior year, wouldn't. So having that mindset of just kind of ignoring those negative thoughts or ignoring those like kind of hesitation moments was huge. So I think developing my mental game was something that was my greatest asset into having a successful season and then moving forward into the national system or moving forward into the yeah, afterwards and onwards. So I think the, the mental game has to be your greatest area that you work on on top of physical and on ice performances as well. Once you get into a game, are there, you know, we hear a lot about next shot, next save mentality. Yep. I, I find 
you know, it, it applies to golf too at the highest levels. I used to cover some PGA Tour and, and that was a phrase that got thrown around a lot and I've heard it in goaltending as well. Super easy to say, really easy to say, but yeah. boy, is it hard to do sometimes. Yeah. Um, what for you, what, uh, how do you, you know, stay in the moment? Have you found any, is there any little tricks you use to refocus when you find, that's the other thing. Everyone's like, I got to stay in the moment. Well, everybody's mind wanders. It's how do we recognize it and pull it back? Are there some tricks you've you've developed over the years to help you with that? One thousand percent. I have so many tricks up my sleeve that I've learned over the years, or refreshed, or just upgraded throughout the years. And can you uh, share a couple? Yeah, you betcha. Hey, I'm an open book. I'm one of those people where I want everybody to be able to be the greatest version of themselves. And if it means me giving out some hints here or there, obviously I won't give you my greatest and most phenomenal secrets um those are secrets for a reason but no i'm all i'm all here for giving out you know as much as i can and like things like coaching here i coach a lot and i i'm very much an open book i give details of the game and secrets of the game all the time to my goalies that i coach and that i mentor but one of the things that um i developed in university and that helped me the most is um when all goalies out there you will not have one goalie that that doesn't have some sort of negative thoughts. If you have a goalie out there that says they're always thinking positive, they never have negative thoughts, they're never nervous and heading to a game, they're lying. Just truthfully, and that's any level, I guarantee you there's NHL guys that have those same thoughts. But the difference between the elites and the not so elites is how do you park those negative thoughts? How do you keep those away and allow them not to interfere with your game performance? What I do, and this is just me being honestly truthful and kind of sharing a little bit more about me. When there's a national anthem happening before a game, after the warm-up has been done, after you went to the dressing room between the warm-up and the first period or whatever it is, there's a national anthem. When I'm on that line, that is the last moments that I allow myself to have negative thoughts. So if you ever see me standing on a, on a blue line during the national anthem, it's not all positive thoughts in here. There's a lot of negative thinking. Because the reason that I do it is I allow myself to just listen to those emotions. I don't fully tuck them away because sometimes if you tuck them away too much, they're bound to explode. And they're bound to, if something happens in a game that is extremely stressful, all those negative thoughts might just come back, haunt you, right? So on that blue line, I allow those negative thoughts to happen. I have all my little things I do during the natural anthem. I trace the maple leaf and I do a bunch of different weird goalie things. But during that national anthem on the blue line, I have all those negative thoughts. And I allow them to come in one year, but I let them go out the other. And I always justified with, say, I think, oh, my left skate feels like it might be loose. It's like, then I have those positive thoughts of, hey, but I just went through warm up and I stopped those bucks. Right? And I, I always validate some positive towards that negative. And I just allow it to filter through my head. And as soon as that natural anthem finishes, all positive from that. And then my biggest thing that I have moving forward from that is bring it. Bring it. Just whatever moment when I'm on the end of two on one, I'm not nervous. I'm on my toes. I'm in that three layer stance, just fully aggressive. Bring it. I'm going to stop that buck. I'm here to compete and just bring it on because I'm all positive, all confidence, no negative thinking. You will not find me during, during a game, during a play, having any negative thoughts of some sort. And if there's a goal that goes in, the weird thing I do, because I know everybody has those weird things, I clench every muscle in my body and then I release. Because that's, to me, is that goal went in. 
and there's that negative aura, negative energy. So I tighten everything. And when I release my muscles, it's almost like all that negative energy just releases away. And there's no more goal allowing. There's more, no more goal weaknesses. It's all gone. And I'm back to that strong, confident goalie mindset of bring it. You, and you that's how I'm right. That's great. I love it. The, the bring it part we've, uh, you know, we've worked with, we've, we've run some webinars and stuff with a guy like Pete Fry, the goalie mindset guy. And that was one of his, that mentality of like, I, I want that shorthanded breakaway. I want that three on one. I got this. And like that sort of embrace it as opposed to, oh crap, we just turned it over and I've got to face a breakaway. That, 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 that sort of, like you said, bring it. I love it. I love it. Bring it is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that I had to learn um, pretty quickly. But this summer, there's a guy that came around. Um, he works in blind hockey, and his name is Joey Alley. And he's a very, very cool guy. One of the most phenomenal goalie coaches you'll ever hear. But we had a goalie camp this summer with a canine, a top prospect goaltending, and he was a guest coach there. And he came, and he's the one where I sat down with him. And I always love learning from everyone. And he was a new goalie coach, and I had him throughout i seen him throughout the year because i did this um national certification for, goal, for goalie I, coaching i joey here. joey lives down the road uh, i just saw okay. him at a rink two weeks ago i know exactly he, he works with the langley riverman locally his son's a goalie i was watching him at his tryout so i yes he is a and works with uh just to give them a shout performance goaltending here yes. uh, in the lower mainland exactly so with him i sat this summer and he's the one him and i were really constructed and expanded that idea of bring it and we really made it kind of my own mantra. And obviously anybody's willing, if you want it, take it. But it, for me, it's my own. I see it as my own where it just, when there's something going wrong or say something feels weird during the moment or something happens because everything and anything on the planet can happen during a game. You can have one of your teammates get injured. You can have whatever, something happens, whatever distractions. But as soon as I tell myself, bring it, it always brings me back to that confidence three layer on my toe stance and I'm just fully ready to make that safe. So just one of those things where Joey just, yeah, made it go above and beyond this summer. So that's another shout out that you can put out there because Love yeah, it. there's great guys everywhere you learn from. And like you Love said, I've been much since I was a kid and always will be and always looking to improve my game in that sense. That makes you the perfect Ingo radio podcast guest. Cause that's what we're all about. A lot <laughs> of the, a lot of our listeners are, we hear a lot from parents uh, that listen on the way to the rink or way to tournaments with their kids. And they're always looking for insights like that. So it's awesome. Now, you talked a little bit about narrowing your stance and not being so wide. And yes. in that last answer, twice, you mentioned a three-layered stance. So yes. you don't have to if it's, you know, like I said, there are some things that you keep for yourself. But I I'm curious what a three-layer stance is. We've you know, here in Vancouver, and we, again, to go back, Ian Clark has a three-stance system, different points on the ice, you're narrower, middle, and and then into save execution. I don't know if that's a similar thing with a different name, but what, what, tell me what you mean by three-layer stance, if you can, if you don't mind. No, I'm more than happy to share it. I mean, ultimately, game of goaltending, I think it's it needs to be shared. Yeah, I think it just, that's how the game evolves. And if anybody's nervous about sharing some information or sharing some things they learn, then it just makes them nervous and makes them afraid that somebody else is going to you know, get better than them. So I, I don't have any issue sharing things like that because I'm confident in my game. And hey, if you think you can outbeat me, bring it. <laughs> bring it, bring it. I love it. So what is it? What do you mean by a three-layer stance? Yeah, so a three-layer stance essentially is when you're on your toes. So your blade is divided into four sections as the way I explain it. So the first section is your toes. Second section is that kind of ball of your foot. Third is like that arch of your foot and your heel is being that fourth. So in three-layer stance, you want to be on that first, the number one place of your escape being the toes. 
Then the three layer stance after that comes from, if you look at a goalie sideways, you have stick, the gloves, and the body. Okay, so those are the three layers you have. So if ever you're aggressive, your layers should be significant and very prominent from the side view. So if ever a goalie is on their heels or if they're standing on that two, three part of their skates, oftentimes you'll see their gloves coming back or you'll see their stick coming under their gloves. So they will not be able to make that save in front of them because when you make a save, you want to make a save in front of you, right? As soon as you make a save behind you, then you have this whole other can of worms that comes up, which is called box control. As soon as you make a save to your side or as soon as you make a save that is not in front of you, you're opening that box and you're opening your net, right? And you're giving yourself more of a chance to get scored on. So if ever you are on your toes on that perp, one of your skates, and your stick is in front of your gloves and your gloves in front of your body, you are in that three-layer stance and you're putting yourself in the best position to make that save. And ultimately, that has to come with nowhere feet. If your feet are wide and they're wider than your gloves, for example, you are committed to that angle and that angle on. Because should that pass be made, you are not in a position to be able to adjust. Yeah, you're locked in. But it, no, because a lot of goalies will argue that, hey, I'm able to move, I'm able to do whatever. If that's the case, if they think that their wide stance is good enough, put them on the 45, just facing the blue line where it meets the boards and have them do a T-push to the other post and see how long it's ha- it, they take to turn around and make that movement happen. Then put them in a narrower stance just outside the shoulders and they'll see a world of a difference. And also you'll be taller, right? Your Where you bend will change. You'll be more of a hip bend, knee bend, ankle bend, whatever it is. And it will not be so much about opening up your feet wider and just putting all that pressure on your core hips and <laughs> maybe having to go through hip surgery one day. So that's where the, go- the goalie stance breaks down. And that's a bunch of things that I learned here in Calgary. Brad Kirkwood is one of those guys. If you haven't had him on in goalie, he's one of those guys that, gosh, he knows more about the game than I think any other humans I know. And that's just a snippet of information of what he knows and what he had shared with me and here with endless other goalies. So if he's one of those goalie nerds as well, and that's just one of those little tiny details of the game that he knows and that he shared and that I share with my goalies, that I coach. Because I think ultimately, if you're putting yourself in that three-layer stance on your toes, hey, you're setting, it, setting yourself up for success. Love it. Now, that perfect transition to coaching. What's it been like now? You're working with, it's not like you're working with, uh, well, walk me through it. SAIT, Okotot, you're working with some very high-end programs. Yes. Um, what's the transition from playing to coaching? Like how long have you added the coaching side of it? I mean, just listening to you talk and break all this stuff down, it seems like a pretty natural fit. Um, but like, did it, was it a process? Cause knowing something and being able to teach it are not necessarily the same. Um, there's a process there. So yeah, walk me through who you're working with and what that process has been like. And has it made you a better goaltender as I ask all the questions at once? 100%. So when I moved here, K9 kind of took me under his wing and he offered me a position to coach because I had a big, big passion in hockey and goalie coaching. And when I moved here in Calgary, um, I didn't want to go to med school right away. I graduated with a pre-med degree and I knew that I wanted to expand my hockey career being on the national team and on the PWHPA program. Um, and so I decided to just find some kind of job here to kind of put one and one together in between and just kind of connect the make ends meet and whatever else. So he took me on uh, as a goalie coach for TPG, being top prospect goaltending here. And I started working with a bunch of goalies from very young age. I call them the try goalies, where they just tried to be a goalie for the first time all the way through university. And through that, I became very passionate 
in coaching because ultimately I think it makes me a better goalie in a sense where sometimes I'm in a game where I'm in a practice and I'm like, holy crap, I got to listen to myself. Because for a goalie, I'll tell them like, you got to do this. Your glove has to be in a certain way or, you know, I'll help them with their stance. I never change a goalie. I only ever give them tools to add to their toolbox. But sometimes I got to add those tools to my toolbox, right? Or if I tell them or I share with them different things, sometimes I only find that it expands my game. Because I think a great goalie will have a massive toolbox. That's what I think is the deciding factor between a phenomenal goalie, a studio goalie, and just a player, right? Someone just dressing up one net. Because I think ultimately, if you're able to be able to pick and choose, save selections and whatever you need in a game, then that's what is going to make you the best goalie because you will be able to make a save and you will be able to be successful no matter the situation you have in front of you. But that being said, after I was with K9, I have a few, had a few opportunities that rose from that. So that being working at Olds College, right here in an hour north of Calgary, I had the opportunity to start working with Edge School, a big program here in Calgary. Then I had the Oak Oaks AAA girls reach out to me and they wanted me to be their goalie coach as well as their defenseman coach. Because being a goalie, you know a lot about the defensive side of the game. So that's something that got to spend in there. I got to work with different spring programs, the Hurricanes being one of them. Um, just a female girls program. Uh, and then a bunch of other different things being anything from privates to team sessions through TPG. And TPG ultimately was the biggest um, kind of open door for me to be able to open all those opportunities up. And I fell in love with the game and I was able to work with goalies, like I said, from very young age, all the way through university, guys, girls, UFC, whatever it is, and just develop that game to a whole new level. And on that note, I was able to also work with a bunch of different goalie coaches. He has a bunch of coaches that works for his program. And so I became very, very close to all these coaches and I was able to open up some opportunities to learn from them. And then from that, a few doors open where I was able to get in touch with at Edge. There's a guy there who had access to NHL players on the ice that needed goalies. So I was able to go out with some NHL guys and face some NHL rubber for the summer, right? Or some junior guys. and be able to do that and develop in that sense. And then recently the Hitman got in touch with me and they wanted me to come out to their sessions when they have some players that are sick, right? Or sorry, goalies that are sick or injured or whatever it is. So I was able to come up to those. And yeah, so when I moved here to Calgary and had K9 kind of invite me to do that. And when I was able to get on ice and everything, doors just kept opening after one or the other and I always kept them open. I'm always one of those, like I said, coaches that are willing to share whatever and anything I can. Um, I love the game and I want to share that love for the game with anyone I can. And ultimately, it led me to great places, being coaching in these phenomenal organizations and places um, and getting to go on the ice with some of these some of these guys in the um, in the WHL and on the NHL level. So, yeah, so goalie coaching has only opened doors for me and made me a better goalie because ultimately, the amount of things you learn and that there's left to learn is endless, right? So, yeah. You, the WHL, the NHL shooters, you've already faced the best women shooters in the world. Um, yep. Their practices, the style of attack, I don't just mean shots. I mean, just the no. style of play, the style of attack. Were there differences you noticed? I mean, it's just a practice environment, but uh, so it's not like a game situation in terms of reads, but were there things you noticed that were different? Most certainly. Um, I think both games are very elite in their own ways. I think that's the beauty of getting out there and watching women hockey because you will not see anything like it. It's a, a competitive game. It's a strong game and it's very 
different yet very, very similar to the men's game. In the men's game, what I notice the most is the shot releases from the player. They will release the shot much differently than women in the sense where their shot releases will be much faster. They will be in different strides. So a lot of times from the women's game, you see at the shoulder drop, you look at the hips placement, you look at the sticks, you look at the hands and a lot of that. The guys, they will shoot from any movement, <laughs> anytime, anywhere. Because they have a lot of that upper body strength, those wrist strength and whatever else. And they also tend to move the puck very quickly and play a little bit more of a shooting game versus the girls will pass more, I find. So the girls will hold on to the puck a little bit more and sometimes look for the perfect play a little bit too much versus the guys is very much so shoot the puck. <laughs> so something that I found is guys are massive. So whenever there are screens in front of the net, <laughs> if you have some guy, a six foot four guy, you cannot see the puck, and especially when they know how to play a screen and they know what the goalie's thinking, because they're probably studying that too from their goalie coaches. Being a female goalie, not used to having a 6-4 massive human in front of me, I find that being very different from the women's game. So there's definitely a bunch of different things that changes from here and there, but I love it all. Ultimately, it's a different game, different reads. Uh, reading the men's shots, reading the girl shots is different, so there's definitely an adjustment when I go on the ice with a hitman or the NHL guy, then I come back to the PLH game, I have to be very quick at adjusting. Because it is a different game, and you can get very much so exposed in either side should you not be adapting to the game. So it's something that I had to work on, and it was very much so a challenge at first, going from one to the other. Um, either way, it was sometimes the first 5-10 minutes, I feel like the worst goalie, and I feel like I can't stop a beach ball. But then after you adjust, and after your eyes adjust, and after you just, you know, adapt then you can come back to your regular self and stop a couple things. <laughs> so obviously the, we're all about staying in the moment as goaltenders. Yes. We talked about how you stay in the moment on the ice, but I listen to the passion with which you speak about the position and the passion you clearly put into learning about the position. Uh, I know you're still playing and still playing at, at a super competitive level and still want to, but have you thought about uh, as, as much as you've already been through pre-med at a prestigious school do you, does goalie coaching as a career like you know I, I remember having this conversation with Shannon years ago and it wasn't where she wanted to go it wasn't what she wanted to do but like I'm, I'm I guess maybe there's part of me that's just waiting like when are we going to have our first female goalie coach in the National Hockey League because the quest like there's a lot of goalie coaches in the National Hockey League that didn't play at even close to the level you've already played it, it's not a prerequisite it's just you need the passion for and the ability to teach and it's pretty clear you've got that is it something you've thought about at all or am I just dropping a bomb in the middle of this interview yeah. here? <laughs> no it's definitely something I'm very open to like I said obviously I went to med school uh sorry I went to uh pre-med I did a pre-med program at Cornell in school so it's definitely a passion of mine right I grew up having two big passions and two massive goals, one being the Olympics has a goal that I'm still in that pursuit of, one of them being med school and becoming a doctor, whether it be an emergency room or becoming a family physician. Those are my kind of areas that I want to go to. But recently, knowing how much I fell in love with the game and how much I fell in love with coaching, it is definitely something that has crossed my mind and that I'm most certainly open to. Um, should the opportunity come and should it be a good fit, that is 100% something I would do and that I would be open to. Just because I know how much of the game I love, I have seen the impact that I was able to do on various levels. And should I, someone think I'm good enough to do it, it would be something I'd be happily willing to take on because I love the game so much. And I'm constantly learning something new every day. I seek new things every day. I talk to coaches every day. Um, you know, if there's a new coach that has a new mindset, I ask them to go out for coffee and just talk about the game. 
I'm very much so a goal leader and I love learning new things and I love trying new things. And something I find that is very cool that I get to get right now is I get to go on the ice, try things, and then go coaching and talk about it. And especially when you get to go with the older levels or older ages, when they have kind of entered their goalie nerd phases where they know a lot about the game, then you get to talk to them and go back and forth, right? Because like I said earlier, there's no one way to stop the puck, right? There's a million ways to stop the puck. So if you can know those million ways and you can expand that toolbox to your maximum, you're only making yourself a better goalie. So I'm very much so open to learning anything and everything I can and sharing it. And should that become elite enough and should that become significant enough and, um, you know, good enough to teach on the pro level, being in the NHL or whatever it is, more than open to it. And it's something that I have thought about and would be, yeah, would be definitely a dream come true. Um, but ultimately, I got to finish my dream playing first and go to that Olympic stage and, you know, create and fight for a better professional league for women. And then from then on, when I do decide to hang up the skates or maybe in parallel to that work, then it is something that I'm more than open to doing. I love it. I love it. So last one, and I'm famous for last ones, because I think this actually would apply perfectly for when that opportunity comes. Uh, You got to You got to tell us uh, why it's uh, Marlene boss on uh on instagram uh and this is also a reminder that everyone it'll be in the show notes to make sure to check out her instagram account um but the nickname is boss so there that screams story to me although it is possible that it's just people like me that struggle to pronounce any last name that's more than one syllable so what's the story so the story is goes back to my very first year being recruited by the national program i believe it was maybe 2013 2014 uh, we had a goalie coach named Joe, and Joe approached me before a game, uh, before a goalie practice. One of the first, very, very first sessions I did with the national team comes up to me, and I'm very new to the system, so they don't know me. They don't know how to pronounce my name. I'm very much so still a Frenchie at that stage because I'm still just in the very beginning stages of learning to speak English. And he's asked me how to pronounce your name, and I say it's Marlene Bosonou. It's very French, and I realize over the years if I say my name too quick. Um, sometimes people will hear this bossano. So I very quickly got changed to from bossano to just boss. And that just stuck with me for a while because while I was growing up, when I was going to, whether it be goalie camps here or there, on those sheets that you were trying to, you know, people were trying to get to know you, the coaches, you would always have to write a nickname for yourself. And I never had a nickname because my name is very straightforward. And I never had a nickname. So whenever he gave me that nickname, uh, it just stuck ever since. And now I introduce myself when I'm a goalie coach or anywhere where it's a very much so English-based. I say, hi, my name is Malin Boissonneau, but people call me boss. And it always brings smiles, especially to the young kids when they don't believe me. When I say my nickname is boss, and then sometimes they end up going on my Instagram and they see that my nickname or nominee, my username is Malin Boss, and they realize really quickly that Hey, that has to be one of the coolest nick- nicknames in the hockey game. <laughs> I love so, yeah. it. I love it. And it's perfect. And it, it fits with bring it, right? Like like a boss, bring it. Just bring it. 100% being your own boss, stopping that puck and just having that strong mindset. So that's why I love the nickname and I, I stick with it. And it's, it's an easy word too. When I'm on the ice and one of my teammates are calling my name, they just say boss, boss. And it just, it works out really well. Well, you brought it like a boss on this interview. I've taken up more than an hour of your time, but it's uh, this is going to be an all-timer, one of the favorites uh, for me to do. I really enjoyed uh, just the openness with which you shared 
Uh, some of the details, and I know a lot of the young goalies that listen to this podcast, along with their parents especially, uh, are going to love hearing some of those details, whether it's between the ears or between the pipes, the things you've done to get better over the years. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and open with your conversation today. It means a lot to us, and it'll mean a lot to our listeners and all those little goalies out there. You're so very welcome. And should anybody want to talk goaltending, hey, I'm always open to learning anything, so reached out <laughs> always. The perfect In Goal Magazine goaltender. Thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Have a good one. I would look down and go, oh, are they coming to an end? And then there would be another thread. And I'd say, don't end it now. There's another thread here. Uh, part of me would love to see Marlena rise to the top of hockey canada the olympic program the olympic team and then the other side is like no i i want to see her become the goalie coach of a national hockey league team she she didn't shy away from that no and you you can tell when you talk to her like she's you know obviously very she thinks about the position in a way i think would translate very well to that um and and i remember we had this conversation it was years ago now with shannon sabato so you know like hey if where would it, once you're not playing, if you want to stay in the game, which way would you go? And I think for her, she was looking at maybe being an equipment rep at the time. But the way she thought about the game, and she was ahead of things technically at that time, uh, I thought would translate. And Marlene's the same way. Um, that thirst for new ideas and new knowledge. And you can tell through the interview that her ability to translate it, because coaching and teaching are different things. Like you can know about the position, but the ability to teach it uh, and the way she's sort of risen through the ranks, she's working with like right up to college level goalies right now. Um, and she's still playing and coaching is new to her and she's already having the success on that side of it. So clearly she wants to keep playing. You want her to keep pursuing those dreams. But I think when she decides or if she decides that goalie coaching is something she wants to do in the future as well, um, you know, I've said for a while, it took us what? It took us a long time to get the first Finnish goalie coach in the National Hockey League, and now we have a Finnish Stanley Cup champion. Um, you know, she'd certainly be on that list of people that, yeah, you know, if they were given an opportunity to rise through the ranks, could become the first female goalie coach in the National Hockey League. And you know, like, like, you know, we talked about it last week with Warren Strelo and being honored with the Lester Patrick Award and everything he brought to the game, and then Francois Lair. These are guys. These are these are coaches that did not play it at the highest level. And they had all that success. Ian Clark didn't play it at the highest level. Mitch Korn, right? Some of the great goalie coaches in the game, they didn't play it at the highest level. You don't need to have been a past NHL goalie to be an NHL goalie coach. And I, I just think you need the right attitude, the right mindset, and a growth mindset, and, um, and the ability to teach. And it seems pretty clear that Marlene has, uh, checks all those boxes. Uh, looking at it from the side, if your glove and your stick and your body are all sort of in line, then you don't have the three-layered stance. You got to have that stick. You got to have it see it separated, the hands out in front, and then the body uh, on that first quadrant of your skates. Like there's just so, and the, the other part was the uh, wide stance and trying to sh like do a, a turn and shuffle across and how she described that. It, she was speaking English where sometimes I have trouble breaking through all the different uh, words and um, ways to describe the goalie game. And it it was like she was speaking to me directly. Yeah, no. And I think I found a problem with my game now. I don't have a three layered stance when I'm because <laughs> usually I'm lying on the ice in a uh, like 
prone snow angel position and all the layers are are lying along the ice that might be part of my problem but i hey that's another one we got to add to the dictionary the ingold dictionary three-layered stance three-layered i'm Love telling it. it's gonna it's gonna come out uh, coming uh at christmas near you maybe not this christmas it may take a while because we're we're up against it when Publishers are already all over it. Um, uh, Ingol uh, Mag uh, got some stuff going on uh, over there, always uh, working on things. I love uh, the social media. Before we go, though, uh, Twitter, Instagram for Marla? Uh, for Marlene, it's, uh, I believe it's uh, Marlene Boss is the Marlene IG. Boss. Just that. And uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Uh, put me on the spot here. I'm not 100% Sorry? sure on Twitter. Um, but for sure, check her out on Instagram. You can see those UC UC Soros pads that she was wearing. Uh, you can see some footage from her time skating uh, with the Calgary Hitmen in in the Western Hockey League. Uh, yeah. And, and like I said, after that conversation, uh, we're going to have to book a trip to Calgary so we can get on the ice with her and, and have her explain and sort of show how you can feel that on your toes, the right quadrant of your skates and the three layered stance. Marilyn Bois. Boston, like just so uh, awesome. Man, imagine having the choice between medicine, doctor, or a goalie coach, and you're really good at both. Sounds like like she's brilliant. I uh, love the way she looks at it. Uh, thanks to uh, Marlene, uh, as well as Cam over at the hockey shop. Uh, our best to uh, David Hutchinson, who's on assignment uh, uh, this week. Uh, so uh, he's going to catch up to us. He's working on something cool off to the side. I didn't even mention him off to the top. I was so excited to get to Marlin. Uh, I apologize, Hutch, uh, who's editing this uh, right now. And it, I, I, my bad. My okay. bad. Yeah, it's it's okay. I forgot about him too. Sorry, Hutch. We still love you. We're just mad that you 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 chose your special assignment over us tonight. Yeah. So yeah. We, I mean, we left it is you cool. It's a cool special assignment, but uh, I thought. Uh, that one, you would have been here, and two, I should have remembered. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have to go back and listen to Marley uh, a couple of times, I'm right with you. I've already done it twice. The second time in the last month and a half that I've I've done that uh, with interviews and taken notes and, and written it all down. Uh, appreciate it, Marley, as well as Cam, as well as, uh, of course, uh, Woody. Uh, thanks to you uh, as well as we journey through this wild world of goaltending, opening night in the National Hockey League, coming up on the uh, eve of it uh, when we talk to you next on Ingle Radio, the podcast. <laughs>